There was a guy by the name of John Mark Comer, who I follow him on podcasts. I've read all of his books and stuff. He was there. He shared. In his book, he writes something that um, really challenged me over the last couple of weeks, and, and I just want you to take a look at it. It's going to be on the screen. It's on your outline, so if you want to follow along on your outline, you can do that as well. It's that big paragraph on the top. It's a little bit wordy, a little bit lengthy to read, but I wanted to share it because I think this is a good way for us to kick off part six of our series today. He says this, we act like the English word God is a common denominator, but it's not. When we talk about God, it turns out we're all over the map. There was a time when you could say God and people would think of the God we read about in the scriptures. Most people would even come to the same basic conclusion about this God. That time has long since gone. Today, when I say God, you might think um, any number of things, depending on your birth country, language, religion, church experience, or background. All of this brings us to the question, who is God? Who is this God we love, hate, worship, blaspheme, trust, fear, believe in, doubt, cuss in the name of, bow to, make jokes about, and most of the time just ignore? How you answer this question will define you. What we think about God matters. Who God is has profound implications for who we are. Let me read that one again. That is so good. Who God is has profound implications for who we are. We don't know what God is like, but we can learn. And to learn, we have to go to the source. God himself has to reveal to us what he's like. He has to pull back the curtain of the universe and let us look inside. Which kind of is what God did to Moses, this passage that we've been using. He, he did this to Moses. Exodus 34, 5 gives us the narrative of it. Take a look. The Lord stood there with Moses and he called out his own name. Come on, we just sang about it. Let's say it together. Yahweh. Yahweh. God has a name. Turn the person next to you and say, God has a name. And, you know, it's not a last name that we cuss with. It's, it's <laughs> right? It's, it's a real name. God has a name. And his name, he says, is Yahweh. God has revealed himself in so many names in the ancient Hebrew of the Old Testament. In this series, we've been looking at those and we've been really discovering how God wants to relate to us. And today is an action-packed name that he wants to reveal to us. But just to get this basic foundation, the Hebrew name Yahweh reveals the God of what? relationships. Really, it's a God who is revealing himself. This, this name Yahweh also um, kind of sends the message of revelation. So, so God is revealing himself as the God of uh, relationships. Everybody follow that? So there's a reveal that's involved, and he wants us to know as he reveals himself, he, he wants us to know that he wants to be in relationship with us. God really wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He wants to be in an intimate relationship. And so by learning the names of God, this is the phrase we've been filling out every week of this series. Come on, you probably know it by now. By learning the names of God, what? We get to know him more. Say it with me. By learning the names of God, we get to know him more. Yeah, it's true. We get to know him more by learning these names. And so this morning... Um, this name we're going to see is connected to other Hebrew words which form compound names. In fact, there's several compound names um, for God throughout the Old Testament. And it just shows different aspects of God connected with this whole relationship idea. We see one of these names in two very famous stories that we're going to briefly hit uh, this morning. The first is a story that I bet that most of us know. 
It's the story of David and Goliath. How many of you know the story of David and Goliath? Right. I, you know, I bet you could go out on the street and ask some of the neighbors today, the guy you know, mowing his yard or whatever across the street, hey, do you know the story of David and Goliath? Yeah, yeah, I know the little guy, big guy, you know, you know the stone, you know, that kind of thing. We know the story, right? Let's, let's take a look at the passage, 1 Samuel 17. The Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over how big? Nine feet tall. Wow. Big dude, right? He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail, which is his armor, weighed 125 pounds. Now, I'm just going to say, soaking wet, did David even weigh 125 pounds? And this dude's armor is weighing probably more than David. But anyway, we'll get to that. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. Don't miss that. The spearhead weighed 15 pounds. You go, oh, that's not too bad. Okay. Lift up a bag of sugar or flour. Okay. What is that? Like four pounds, five pounds. Let's see you chuck that over the aisle at Vaughn's right? This is a 15 pound, yeah, don't do that. But anyway, that's, this is a 15 pound spearhead we're talking. Okay, this guy was strong, big and strong. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across the Israelites. I am the Philistine champion. Yeah, I bet you are. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. Ha! <laughs> That's not going to happen, right? That's, that's, that's what he's counting on. But if I kill him, yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. You will be our slaves. I, don't miss this, I defy the armies of Israel today. Boy, he's challenging. He's laying down the gauntlet. He's, he, he is throwing the taunt. Goliath was asking for something that's very common in ancient warfare because they had hand-to-hand combat in very conventional warfare in those days. It was called single combat. It's what he was calling for. Common practice where two armies that were opposing each other would seek to avoid all of the heavy bloodshed of many soldiers lost in open battle. So they would choose one champion between the two armies, one for each army to represent them. And these two champions would fight it out one-on-one, winner-takes-all battle to the death. That's what he was calling for. Problem was, the Israelites didn't have a giant. The Philistines had a giant like Goliath. Israelites didn't have one. In fact, the, the tallest guy in the army probably was King Saul because it, it says that when you know, he was made king, he was a head taller than anybody else. So he's probably the, the tallest guy. And guess what? King Saul was not even going to come close to the valley. He was back in the tent hiding out, right? And so when the Israelites heard this, verse 11 They were terrified and deeply shaken. How many of you like to be in the army of the Israelites that day? No thanks. I'm I'm going AWOL. I'm calling in sick. Whatever it takes that day, right? Because we see what's going to happen. And the Israelites had dealt with this problem of the Philistines for years. They were a constant threat. And now they face this giant and things go from hard to overwhelming. Most of us can handle regular problems in life. We don't like them, but we can handle them. But sometimes there is a giant that steps forward and changes everything. Right? I got a call this morning at 5.29 a.m. My mom calling to let me know 
how her husband James is doing. James has been put on hospice, and he's on morphine, and not looking real good, pretty incoherent. And uh, at 529 this morning, I'm laying in bed after that phone call, laying in bed, not able to go back to sleep. You know why? Because the giant is taunting. Because I see the transitions coming. And, you know what I mean? I just see things beginning. Maybe, maybe you have felt, maybe you've felt this way. Maybe you're feeling this way. You're, you're facing sometimes things that are overwhelming or maybe they feel overpowering. And you don't know what to do. And, and, and you feel like you have no way to fight because it's out of your control. And day after day, for the Israelites... This bully doesn't go away. It says in verse 16, For 40 days, every morning and every evening, two times a day, the Philistine champion Goliath strutted out in front of the Israelite army and he taunted them for 40 days. But then someone new enters the narrative. I love this. David's three older brothers were serving on the Israelite army, and in those days, soldiers didn't get food rations provided by the, the military, and so David's dad sent him to the front lines to bring food to his brothers, to bring some cheese to the commanding officer, and in verse 23, it says that David heard Goliath shout his usual taunts to the army of Israel. David just happened to be there, and so this big giant Goliath comes out in the valley, and he, I defy the armies of Israel, and so provoked by what he's hearing, provoked by the insults toward his God, David goes to the king, and this is what he says in verse 34. I've been taking care of my father's sheep. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, don't keep, just keep in mind, don't forget, David is like a teenager, okay? When a lion or a bear, now we're talking like a mountain lion cougar lion, and I don't know what kind of bear, but let's, we're just, this is a big beast, right? When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, what do you do? I run away, and no, that's not what it says, right? I go after it with a club. I mean, for, for some of us, we might go, yeah, I would take it on with a rifle, right? Give me a sidearm. I could pop that thing off. But with a club? You give me a baseball bat and you tell me to go take on a lion. No, no, that's not going to happen. That's what he did with a club and, oh wait, and rescue the lion or the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, it gets better. I catch it by its jaw and I club it to death. He gives the lion or the bear a chance to get away. He takes the lamb out of its mouth and goes, scat, get out of here. And if the thing goes raw at him, what does he do? grabs it by the jaw and clubs it to death. This is teenage David. Hmm. I've done this both to lions and bears. Look what he says. And I will do this, do it to the, this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. David uses a very descriptive phrase. It's an interesting phrase. This pagan Philistine. In the original Hebrew, it's the word arel. You know what it means? Uncircumcised. 
If you know anything about the covenant that God established with the people of Israel, circumcision was for all males. It was a sign of the covenant. It was established really between Abraham and God. And it was an indicator that the living God was with you. This giant doesn't have God with him. And David is saying, the living God is with me, but he's not with him. So I will do, God helped me kill the lion and the bear to protect my flock, and I will do the same to this guy who doesn't have God with him because God is with me. You know, perspective changes everything, doesn't it? It really does. When you have a God perspective, you realize, hey, wait a minute, God is with me. He may not be with them. He may not be in that situation. He, he, he's not on that side. He's on my side. He's, he's with me. All too often we're focused on the giant when we should be looking at God. And that's what David did. All too often we're looking at the wrong thing. Don't don't focus on your big problem, friends. Realize you have a big God. That's what David did. The men saw the giant. The Israelites saw the giant. David saw God. He says in verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. He's basically saying, it's not even my fight. Oh, I'll go down there and I'll represent, but it's not even my fight. God will fight. Wow. So the king was convinced. Didn't really have a whole lot of choices, did he? There was not really anybody raising their hand to volunteer for this job except this crazy teenage kid And so he sends him, and in verse 40 it says, David picked up five smooth stones from a stream, put them in his shepherd's bag, and then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. And both armies watched as David and Goliath fought a battle. Verse 41, Goliath walked out toward David, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. You know this phrase, David and Goliath, has become in our culture a very common phrase. I mean, it's used in business, in sports. It's used to um, describe a small, insignificant underdog taking on a big, overwhelming, overpowering opponent in epic showdown, right? This last slide kind of gives you that. Remember that one if you're a Rocky fan, right? And yet I've always missed something important about this idea of David and Goliath, and maybe you have too. I've always viewed David, guess what, as the underdog. And I bet you have too. But we might have mixed things up. I mean, look at verse 45. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel whom you have defied. I want you to circle some words on your outline. Lord of heaven's armies. Lord of heaven's armies. Say it with me. Lord of heaven's armies. In the original Hebrew, this phrase is one of the names of God. And this is a good one. Mm. Yahweh Sabah. Come on, say it with me. Yahweh Sabah. Don't you love that? Yahweh Sabah in Hebrew means an army or wage war. Sabah means that. But, but combined with Yahweh, 
Yahweh Sabah refers to the leader of the army, to the leader of a host of warriors. I like to think of it as the God who will fight my battle with his army. That is Yahweh Sabah. He will fight my battle with his army. And David knew this. David had already experienced this. David believed this. David positioned himself in total dependence on this characteristic of God. And what's crazy is when you read the life of David, and I did that over the last year and a half. I studied First and Second Samuel all the way through. When you look at the life of David and all that he did, he believed this his entire life, that God was fighting the battle for him. It made him fierce. He never backed down in battle. David didn't fight Goliath with the latest technology. Goliath had the latest technology. It's just, that's the crazy thing about this. He had all the bronze, and that was, that was the latest and greatest. That, that was the nuclear weapons of the day, all right? He, he had all the bronze weapons. The, Philistine, or the Israelites, rather, had nothing like that. And David came at Goliath in the full power of the name of the God of war. For you gamers, there it is, the God of war. Take a look. Verse 45, today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. Pretty sure of himself, isn't he? No, he's sure of God. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. And we know what happens next, right? Take a look. That was the first story. There's another story that involves my favorite Old Testament leader. Joshua has just taken over the leadership of the people of Israel. Moses has led them out of Egyptian bondage, 400 years of Egyptian bondage, into this journey, which they do not know is going to 
<laughs> take them into 40 years of journeying. But Moses now, at the end of these 40 years, is gone. And now Joshua has become leader, and now the people are ready to possess the land. And God has promised them this land, but he has promised them this land that's going to have difficulties and obstacles, and they are going to have to possess it. And so God tells Joshua what to do. And then Joshua leads the people. Let's pick up the story, Joshua 3, verse 14. The people left their camp to cross the Jordan River. And the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was harvest season, and the Jordan River was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up at a great distance away, and the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was Dry. Sound familiar? It's just like what happened in the Red Sea, right? Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Now we know that name. That's another one of those names, like David and Goliath, you know, the whole battle of Jericho idea. Big walls, people walked around the walls. How many times they go around? Remember how many days they went around? Yeah, okay. They went around these walls and... The walls came a tumbling down, as the song goes, right? Hmm. But before all that happened, leader Joshua wanted to do some reconnaissance. And so Joshua secretly scouted out the city of Jericho, the first city to be conquered. And while he was there, something takes place, something supernatural takes place. Now, before we get into what happens, just this... Let's just put ourselves in Joshua's sandals for just a moment. I mean, how do you feel the sandals of the guy before you, like Moses? I mean, Moses was a leader bigger than life, right? I mean, it says in Scripture that Moses was the friend of God, that he talked to God on the mountain, that he knew God, that he spent time with God. He spent time with God so much in, in the tabernacle that his face shined and people were like, wow, your face is shining. You've been with God. And so he would, put, he would wear a veil to cover his face when he'd come out from the tabernacle because it was so bright. I mean, this was, this was Moses. How do you follow a guy like Moses? Would you like to have that job? And Moses is gone, and now you're the leader. And yeah, you've been commissioned by Moses and anointed by God and all this, but now you're the leader. And now it's becoming real. It's one thing to say, yeah, I'm a leader over here, but now you've crossed the river. And you're facing your first battle. And I would say that as strong as Joshua is, and as strong as he is in his relationship with God, there was, there was a level of stress. There was, there was a level of fear here. Because he didn't know what he was going to face. He didn't know what to do. He, it, this was new. This is a battle. And it says, when Joshua... Joshua 5, verse 13. When Joshua was near Jericho, so he's right there. He's near the city. He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. <laughs> yeah. Now look at what happens. Joshua demanded, are you friend or foe? And I guarantee you, he's pulling his sword. I guarantee you that Joshua is on the defensive right now. Shh, you hear it coming out, right? And he's saying, hey, you, are you friend or foe? Because if you're foe, I'm taking you out. If you're friend, I'll listen to you. And look at what happens. Neither one, this man replies, I am the commander 
of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Now, often in the Old Testament and in the New, God sends an angel to be a messenger to people. But this was different. This was, huh, this was way different. This makes me think that this was not a, an angel at all. Joshua bows down in worship. He, he realizes that this is not a man, but he is way more than an angel And he bows down in worship. And I believe that Joshua is indicating to us that this is God. Hang on here for just a minute. We're going to see it a little bit more. He submits to this being, this man, as his servant. Joshua says, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Doesn't it sound like he's addressing God? Sure. We know from other passages that angels do not uh, receive worship. Angels will, will defer worship to God. No, 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 don't, don't bow to me. They'll, they'll never take it. They, they always redirect a person's worship to God. But this guy didn't do that. In fact, this guy said, yeah, take off your shoes. Because right here is holy ground. Sound familiar? See, it seems to me that there was another leader who went through this. His name was Moses, and he was looking for this stray sheep, and he came across this burning bush, and God said to him, take off your shoes, you're, you're on holy ground. And I know that he told that story to his assistant Joshua. And now Joshua was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, it's happening to me. Wait, wait, this, this, isn't, this isn't an angel. This is something more than an angel. This man says to Joshua, I am the commander of the Lord's army. In Hebrew verbiage, you know what he's saying here? Hang on. I am Yahweh Sabah. That's what it says in Hebrew. Now, if you know anything about the I am, that's a God indicator. That phrase, when God told Moses, I am that I am, that is a God phrase. And here, this person is saying, I am Yahweh Sabah. Once again, we see the God who will fight my battle with his army. This is what I want you to know. You're in a battle. I'm in a battle. And so often, we, I think we neglect this, maybe ignore it. But we are in a battle Some of us are in a battle for our families. Some of us are in a battle for our health. Some of us are in a battle for our future. Some of us are in a battle with our relationships, in our relationships. Some of us are in a battle for our faith spiritually. And we fight and we struggle day after day. And much of the time we do this on our own, in our own power, trying to handle things ourselves. And my question to you is, how's this going? How's it going to try to take on your battles by yourself? How's that working for you? It's not working for me. This week, I pulled back from my desk. I started counting. One, two, three, four, five, 
Six. I counted six battles that I am in right now personally with, with extended family, family, friends, my life, my, my marriage, whatever. Six different battles that I find myself currently in. And I'm tired. And you feel beat up and worn out. And I'm a controller. Anybody else like me? I'm a controller. And I, I try to control the outcome. I try to control the details. I try to control the timing. I try to control it. So I've been trying to make things happen, and so far, it's not working. Things are way out of my control, and so when things feel out of my control as a controller, you know what happens to me is I feel overwhelmed. First day at this conference, I, I almost didn't go to this conference. I love this conference every year, and I almost didn't go. It was not a good time for me to go right now, and I went anyway. First day after that night, went back to the hotel room, and Didi called. Her first question to me was, so? How is it? And I said, I feel like I caught my breath today. Do you, ever, do you ever feel like when you're going through battles, you just you get you get beat up so much that you lose your breath, and it's like I, I just feel out of breath. I feel like I can't catch up with things. I feel like do you ever feel that way? I felt that way. And that first day really in like the third session, so around like one o'clock in the afternoon, I just felt like I could just, <sighs> I needed this. I told her, I said, I'm so glad I came. I needed to meet God in this way again. I needed to know that he was with me. See, what I'm, what I'm hearing this week, what I'm hearing is God will fight my battle if I let him do things his way. And, uh, and that's the hard thing for me, maybe for you, to let God do things his way because I want to control things. I want to do things my way. And so this week, this is what he's speaking to me and I think it's what he wants to speak to you is that he will fight your battle but you've got to let him. You've got to let him do it his way. And that means letting go. That means surrender. That means, I could have put a whole bunch of words here, submission, yielding. I could have put a whole bunch of ideas here, but I chose these words, let him do things his way. Because you've got to let him do things his way. So there's this other Old Testament leader Words were spoken that, to this guy that, that I need to hear and I think that maybe all of us need to hear today. I know I'm shifting stories, but it, it, you'll see how it just kind of comes together. So, so the people of Israel, they stopped following God. Let's just, you know, frankly say it. They just stopped following God. And so God said, you're stepping out of the covenant that I have with you and there will be consequences. And the consequences were that 
that armies came in, the Assyrians came in, took the northern kingdom, the Babylonians came in and they took the southern kingdom and they just took them out of their land and they took them out of the promised land that they were supposed to have into exile, into all these other areas. They took them as slaves, as captives. And after 70 years of being in captivity in the nation of Babylon, the people of Judah are able to return to Jerusalem. And you know what they find? Devastation everywhere. I mean, everything has been ransacked. Everything has been destroyed. Every, the temple is ruined, demolished. And so God begins to speak to a few people because to the, the people of Israel, the temple that was that was the place of their worship. That the temple was like the, the icon for you know, establishing and having a worship of the living God. And, and so God begins to speak to this one guy saying, you got to rebuild the temple. I'm calling you to do this, to reestablish the worship of the living God. Take a look at Haggai 1. The Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel. Governor of Judah. So this is a guy who's come back. Now they've come back to Jerusalem and he's been, you know, set up as kind of a, I mean, a puppet governor kind of thing because he's, you know, they're, they're just there. And, and Zerubbabel is the leader and it says, this is what the Lord, don't miss this, the Lord of heaven's armies says. Wow. Yahweh Sabah says, go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house then I will be honored. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies, Yahweh Sabah. Don't, don't miss this, that in the midst of of this rebuild, of this devastation, of everything being ruined around them, they're seeing God as a God who will fight their battle. Yahweh Sabah. Don't miss this. But the task is overwhelming, and they get overcome and overwhelmed by it, and they get discouraged in the process. And so Haggai chapter 2, the Lord sent another message to the prophet, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, all you people, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And I included that verse because that is for us today. Be strong, for the Lord of heaven's armies is with you. Be strong. So here's Yahweh Sabah, rather, encouraging and motivating. But the task is still impossible. And Zerubbabel gives up, and he walks away. He says it can't be done. And there's another prophet, Zechariah who comes in and speaks from God. And this is what he says. This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. That's what I need to hear today. When I'm facing my six battles, when I'm facing my giants, I need to hear, be strong for Yahweh Sabah, 
The Lord of heaven's armies, he is with you. I need to hear that it's not through my might, it's not through my force, it's not through my trying, it's not through my strong arming and strength, but it is through his spirit that things will be accomplished, says Yahweh Sabah, the Lord of heaven's armies. It's not going to happen through me. It's going to happen through him. It's not going to happen through you. It's going to happen through Yahweh Sabah. I can't do it. I can't make it, make it happen. God is the only one who can make it happen. God will fight my battle if I let him do things his way. This battle, the, the ones that I'm facing now, the ones that are beating me up, I need to hear that it is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And you need to hear that today. When Caleb was little, 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 he used to think he could take me in wrestling. Okay? Now, he, he might now, well, I don't doubt it. But anyway, I used to tell him I, I, used to tell him I could break him like a twig, but now he's a bigger guy. He's, you know, he's back there going like this. That's what we used to do, you know, that kind of thing. And we'd wrestle around the house, and, and, and it, I always got in trouble with Didi because don't tell her this, so I'm telling stories here. But I always got in trouble with Didi because I'd always wrestle him just before bed. And she's like, don't rile him up. He's never going to go to sleep. You know, that kind of mom thing. And I'm like, eh, it's fine. It's just boys being boys, you know. And we would wrestle and wrestle. And uh, he, he'd say to me, I'm going to get you, Dad. I mean, he, he'd come into the room sometimes. I don't know if you remember this, Caleb, but I'd be sitting in the room watching TV or whatever. And he'd come in the room and he'd be like, I'm going to get you, Dad. Like that, right? And I'd be like. You know, bring it, bring it, boy, bring it. And I'd say to him, oh, yeah? You and what army, Bubba? You know, he'd say to me, one time he shouted back, and he goes, me and the Filipinos. <laughs> to this day, we have no, Caleb, we have no idea why you said that. We have no idea at the time. I don't think the Filipinos had this grand army or anything that, you know, I don't, I don't know if they do. They might, I don't know. But it was just completely out of the blue. Me and the Filipinos. I'm like, okay. You and the Filipinos? All right. Read these words again with me. It's not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and what army? That's what the giants say to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are you? I defy you. I'm coming at you with everything I have and I'm going to destroy you. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm coming at you with everything I have. I'm going to ruin your marriage. I'm going to ruin your job. I'm going to ruin your health. I'm coming at you with everything I have. Who are you? And you can say to the enemy, the giant, me and the Lord's army. We're here. Yahweh Sabah is with me. Don't, don't miss the fact that it's Yahweh Sabah who is telling us that it's by his spirit, that it's not by force, that it's not by strength, but it's by his spirit. Yahweh Sabah, it says there, 
says the Lord of heaven's army, says Yahweh Sabah. This is the one saying it. He is the God who will fight my battle with all the resources of his army. He will come in and fight my battle if I let him. Would you bow your heads with me? Isn't it time that you let God, Yahweh Sabah, fight the battle that you're in right now? That, that was in a session on Friday at this conference that I was at. That was what came across my mind. Isn't it time, Bart, that you let me fight these battles? That you stop trying to figure them out? I, if he is truly the God of war, if he is the commander of the Lord's army, don't you think he's just waiting for you and me to let him in the battle. Don't you think he's just waiting, saying, come on, just let me fight this battle for you. We serve a big God. And the giants of our life, they are taunting us, and they're coming in trying to destroy and kill. These difficulties that we're facing, they overwhelm us. So often we feel alone. God comes in and says, Be strong, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I am with you. 